Good morning. Our third scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, or the Magi, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and beloved God, God who is all that is, who in the beginning of your creation made all that is seen and unseen. We thank you for the gifts of our lives, of these incarnations that we occupy here. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the manifestation of you here among us in a new and profound way. We pray that we may be encouraged by the ministry and the life of Jesus, that it may instill within us a deep courage to continue and carry on living into the ministry he proclaimed. We thank you for the gift of this community, for the gift of this moment. And may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. So I love it when we have two seminarians visiting and want both to have the opportunity to read scripture and it gives me an affirmation. I'm selfishly, I'm saying this. I love it also because I love having seminarians speak in worship. I love anybody having the chance to speak in worship who feels so called or led or sometimes nudged in worship. But this morning, I felt like it was a particular gift from the Spirit, because over the last week as I'd been preparing, and really I feel like with days like 
Baptism of Lord Sunday and Epiphany, for me, I get so excited about them that I've been thinking about them for a month. That may be sharing a little bit more about me than you wanted to know. But I got so excited this morning when Noah was reading, and it's like, this is the perfect chance for me to also add in another scripture. We can, we can roll with it a little bit longer. It was a little aha moment that was like, oh, wait, we can go ahead and a little epiphany, if you will, that says the spirit is always moving, is always making a way and giving you the opportunity. So I just wanted to name that from the get-go. So today is both the, we are celebrating both baptism of the Lord Sunday and also epiphany. Now epiphany is technically on January 6th. So in the Western church, um, when we talk about epiphany, we are talking about the magi coming to Jesus and showing up and presenting him with gifts. It is specifically also talking about this message within, remember Matthew is what I've commonly referred to as the most Jewish of the synoptic gospels. And it is a very explicitly rooted in a Jewish understanding, rooted in an understanding of Jesus as a, a continuation or of a new expression of what Moses came and showed originally. That's in the Western church. We celebrate that moment when the Gentiles have access to this, to this new kind of message and understanding. Now in the Eastern church, it's actually on Epiphany, they celebrate the baptism of the Lord. So that's actually what they celebrate. So as we're here with both of these things, if you were to read through scripture and look for the word Epiphany, you wouldn't find it. Not by definition. There's not the word that says this is the Epiphany. And what I love about looking at both of them together is that you have both in the Eastern and Western church, you have these different understandings of the same thing. And they both point to this idea that God is doing something new and profound in the world. Now, I want to hold these texts together today because I want to think about how do we hold our baptism and epiphany together. Now, when, we, when I think about epiphany, I think about those moments when we realize that they are those aha moments, those internal moments when you're like, I understand things are clear in a new way. Maybe you have this image of somebody being in a movie and it's an epiphany moment. All of a sudden the clouds part, the sun shines down. Wait a second, hold on. There's a new thing that's being understood, a new form of understanding that is coming down, that is being shown to us in a new way. What I love about the Gospel of Mark's description of the baptism of the Lord is that when you talk about the heavens opening up and the dove ascending, it is Jesus who sees it. It is God who then says, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. This is a conversation that's happening between Jesus and God, which we then have an opportunity to be able to bear witness to. When God's voice speaks later in Mark, it is to a broader audience. But here it is just to Jesus. It is Jesus' own little epiphany, own little moment of affirmation, which we are told about, that we can participate as well. So as we think about these two texts together today in these two stories, I want, us to, I want to invite you to consider your baptism as sort of the ground of your being. And I want to consider epiphany, or as we think about that star, that light which guides, as both the guiding light for your journey and also the destination. Because when those wise men arrive, they get to that spot. It is that moment that is illuminated and understood in a new way. I also continue to talk about the Magi, and you may have noticed I corrected myself in scripture. Now, the original scripture actually says Magi. We've corrected or changed that and altered that to wise men. But I want to hold on to Magi because I want to actually tap into the fact that they were people coming from the East. They were magicians. They were following the astrology. 
They came and brought gifts that had to do with healing in ways and with devotion and worship in ways. That's what gold, frankincense, and myrrh represent in different ways. Healing of the body. It's also, and I don't want to go into the depths of those three particular things. And then they took advice from a dream. They followed a dream and they trusted that. Now, I want to lift that up specifically because so often it occurs to me that in the church, historically, we've been taught not to trust those things. When you start talking about astrology, people are like, I don't do that. I follow Jesus. And you're like, but wait a second. Let's pause with that because we're connected here. The stars do tell us different things. The stars do illuminate different things. And so I think it's important to hold that. But I think even more it's important to hold because it, is, it points to the fact that things and the revelations from God are so often going to come from the places we least expect. So when we think about baptism as the ground of our being, I'm going to get to that in a second, but as we think about the epiphany as the guide and the destination, I want us to hold that the ground of our being is going to lead us so often, if we stay rooted in the ground of our being, to a place that we do not expect. What that means is that God so often works in surprises. God so often works in ways that we don't, cannot comprehend until they are themselves revealed to us in new ways. When we talk about baptism, though, and I want to spend more time kind of sitting on that, So in the Presbyterian church, for any folks who grew up Baptist or not Presbyterian, who may have been baptized a number of different times, that's lovely. In the Presbyterian church and in the Reformed tradition, we baptize infants for two reasons. One is to show that they are part of the community. It is a sign and a symbol of these external acts that represent the internal transformation that happens with our sacraments. So one is that you're part of community. You have a community who loves and asserts and affirms that they will love you into being. Now that's not a conditional love. When we make vows, when we make promises at baptism, when I was ordained, I answered questions. When we baptize, we make promises. We promise to love and affirm whoever is being baptized into the fullness of who they are, to celebrate their embodiment, to celebrate who they are in community, to say that not only will we teach them, but we will also be taught by them. And to say that about children, I think is pretty beautiful. Because how often did children actually teach us far more than maybe sometimes we're ready to learn? So one is that we're in community. You cannot escape that. It is an unconditional love. That can be really challenging for community when those children grow up into people and we're like, we don't know what to do with that. It's teaching us something new about God and ourselves. That's a chance for the community to grow. Often, it tends to become a chance for the community to clamp down, but really the invitation is to grow and to expand more. The second assertion, and this is the reason that we baptize infants, is that God's love is there for us, even when we do not have the capacity to ask for it. A child has no ability to say, God, please love me. Not with their words, not in the way that we understand. And that's the point, is that it is not at all about our capacity to ask for God's love. It is entirely about the sovereignty, the sovereign love of God that is all that is, that is here, that is washed over and within us, regardless of us. So I'm tempted to say it has absolutely nothing to do with us, baptism. And yet it also has everything to do with us. Because each single one of us is a manifestation of the divine here. And we forget that. 
In fact, it's part of the human condition to forget that. That's kind of the whole thing, is that we come into these bodies forgetting that we are manifestations of the divine here. If that gets uncomfortable for you, then follow that up with the realization that God is all that is. God is the only true reality. And so if you exist, you are imbued with the wholeness and the essence of the divine. But we forget. And so what that means is that as we go through life, right, we have this opportunity when we remember our baptism to go back to this point and remember that I am held, I am loved, I am imbued with the very essence of the spirit that created all of this creation and that proclaimed it good. That divine, holy light that is within all that is, is within you and me. I'm sorry to tell you if you want to fight it, but that is the truest thing there is. God's love is the truest thing there is. At the end of the day, it's the only thing there is. And you're like, but there's war and there's oppression and there's violence and I'm sad and I'm lonely and I'm lost and I'm confused. Yes, yes, and I'm grieving and nothing makes sense. Yes, yes, and God is here too. God is with you too. God is here. God is saying, I cannot fix this in the way that you want me to fix this because that's not the fuller picture. And I know it's hard for you to see the fuller picture right now, but I guarantee you the fuller picture does have you in mind and in heart. It does have your wholeness and well-being and the fullness of all that you are in mind and in heart. So often when we experience things that are incredibly painful, we want to get angry at God. So get angry at God. I guarantee you God can hold your anger. It's a lot easier than bottling that anger up. It's a heck of a lot easier than feeling ashamed for feeling angry and then bottling that anger up because that energy's got to go somewhere. So let it out. Let it out. The Psalms give us 150 beautiful options of letting it out to God. God's, never voice, God's voice never even shows up in the Psalms. So if you need a biblical context, let it out. But also here's the thing. There are also so many songs and poems that have been written throughout history that have let it out. These different epiphanies that people have had throughout time that have said that I don't know how to make sense of anything, but I know that God is here. Or even if I can't feel that God is here, I'm going to proclaim it and I'm going to claim it until I feel the fullness here. And I will tell you that God will show up again and again. 99% of the time, it doesn't look like what we expect. And yet I have found so often in those times that it is when something shows up in a completely bizarre way that it actually ends up being the most fulfilling. It's like, I never could have imagined this. Isn't this so much better? I mean, shoot, I'm sitting right here right now. I never could have imagined this. And yet here we are. Here we are. In just a minute, we're going to serve communion. And I also have asked a couple of kids to help pass out epiphany stars. So these are, this is um, stars. This started for me probably 15 years or so ago. 
when I was introduced to the practice of handing out epiphany stars on epiphany. Now, each of these stars has a word written on it. Now, remember I said earlier that I want to think of epiphany as both a guiding light and a destination. And that's specifically thinking about these words in mind. So the word and the way it works is there's not a right or a wrong way to do it. What I do every year is that if I am at different places, I get an epiphany star, I put it on my refrigerator, and I kind of casually am aware of it throughout the year. Sometimes it's a word that is inviting you to dig deeper into something. Sometimes it's a word that's inviting you to be aware of something, to look at something in a new way. Sometimes it's a word that's just inviting you to focus for a bit. The year I got ordained, I'll never forget, my epiphany star was voice. <laughs> Mine aren't very subtle sometimes. I can be really hard-headed, and sometimes I need the Holy Spirit just to, like, say, hey. I had somebody choose one for me recently for this year, and it was holding space. So, if you get patience, I don't think I put patience in there this year. Because I feel like always whenever I get patience, there's no way to get patience except to have things try your patience. I keep thinking I'm going to marvelously have patience, but that's not how that works. You get to learn. So as you take these words, take them for what they are, ponder them. I would invite you to hold them, though, and to, as you look back over the last year, or over the year, in a year, look back and see how did this show up. More often than not, it's resonant, even if I'm not focusing on it all throughout the year. In fact, a lot of times it becomes much more resonant when I look back and I realize, oh, wait, the Spirit has been moving all this time, and I've been moving right along with her. And so sometimes those words are helpful as reference points. So let them be your guide, but also sit in the presence of them. Sit in the awareness of them. Sit in the idea that the Holy Spirit is trying to show you something new. And as you do that, as new things may open themselves up in front of you, you may be thrown off track. But here's the thing, that's where you get to go back to your baptism as the ground of your being. Because you get to know that even if you're way off track, even if you're at a point where you're like, I did not plan for this. This is not what I said I wanted my life to be. This is not the life that I had built for myself. This is not the moment that I, be, that I want to be in. You can have that reference point of your baptism. And you can remember that it doesn't matter whether I'm here or here or here or here or here or here, alive in this body or not. I cannot escape that I am loved that I am love. All of you are love. Because that spirit that created, that brooded over the water, that spirit, that God who is all that is, is love. Not greeting card love. Not brush it away love. This is the kind of love that transforms everything you know about who you are and invites you to see only your belovedness. Because at the very core, that is who you are. So as we move throughout this next few days, weeks, throughout this year, I would invite you to hold to that. Hold to the remembrance of your baptism anytime you touch water. Remember your baptism every time you touch water. Remember your baptism when you remember that you are water. Let yourself be led. Trust that inner knowing. And let yourself be surprised. Be surprised by the abundance of joy 
that can come, the abundance of love that will come, the abundance of gratitude that can come in the midst of all of the other stuff. But even more, y'all, know that you're held. Like, I'm going to say it again. At the end of the day, if you take nothing else with you, just know. Just know that you're loved. Like, that's it. That's what, baptism. That's my however long I've been talking. To sum it up, know that you're loved, that you are love. I'll say it again and again and again. There is nothing you can do to escape that. It is the grounding, the guiding light, and the destination. Amen.